Chapter Sixteen of Moods by Louisa May Alcott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Riley. Moods by Louisa May Alcott. Chapter Sixteen In the Twilight. If Sylvia needed another trial to make that hard week harder, it soon came to her in the knowledge that Warwick watched her. She well knew why, and vainly endeavored to conceal from him that which she had succeeded in concealing entirely from others. But he possessed the key to her variable moods. He alone knew that now painful forethought, not caprice, dictated many of her seeming whims, and ruled her simplest action. To others she appeared busy, gay, and full of interest in all about her. To him the industry was a preventive of forbidden thoughts, the gaiety a daily endeavor to forget, the interest an anxiety concerning the looks and words of her companions, because she must guard her own. Sylvia felt something like terror in the presence of this penetrating eye, this daring will, for the vigilance was unflagging and unobtrusive, and with all her efforts she could not read his heart as she felt her own was being read. Adam could act no part, but bent on learning the truth for the sake of all, he surmounted the dangers of the situation by no artifice, no rash indulgence, but by simply shunning solitary interviews with Sylvia as carefully as the courtesy due his hostess would allow. In walks and drives and general conversation he bore his part, surprising and delighting those who knew him best by the genial change which seemed to have softened his rugged nature. But the instant the family group fell apart, and Moore's devotion to his cousin left Sylvia, Warwick was away into the wood or out upon the sea, lingering there till some meal, some appointed pleasure, or the evening lamp, brought all together. Sylvia understood this, and loved him for it, even while she longed to have it otherwise. But Moore reproached him for his desertion, doubly felt since the gentler acquirements made him dearer to his friend. Hating all disguises, Warwick found it hard to withhold the fact which was not his own to give, and sparing no blame himself, answered Moore's playful complaint with the sad sincerity that freed him from all further pleadings. Geoffrey, I have a heavy heart which even you cannot heal. Leave it to time, and let me come and go as of old, enjoying the social hour when I may, flying to solitude when I must. Much as Sylvia had longed to see these friends, she counted the hours of their stay, for the presence of one was a daily disquieting, because spirits would often flag, conversation fail, and an utter weariness creep over her when she could least account for or yield to it. More than once during that week, 
she longed to lay her head on Faith's kind bosom and ask help. Deep as was her husband's love, it did not possess the soothing power of a woman's sympathy, and though it cradled her as tenderly as if she had been a child, Faith's compassion would have been like motherly arms to fold and foster. But friendly as they soon became, frank as was Faith's regard for Sylvia, earnest as was Sylvia's affection for Faith, she never seemed to reach that deeper place where she desired to be. Always when she thought she had found the innermost that each of us seek for in our friend, she felt that Faith drew back, and a reserve as delicate as inflexible barred her approach with chilly gentleness. This seemed so foreign to Faith's nature that Sylvia pondered and grieved over it till the belief came to her that this woman, so truly excellent and love-worthy, did not desire to receive her confidence, and sometimes a bitter fear assailed her that Warwick was not the only reader of her secret trouble. All things have an end, and the last day came none too soon for one dweller under that hospitable roof. Faith refused all entreaties to stay, and looked somewhat anxiously at Warwick as Moore turned from herself to him with the same urgency. Adam, you will stay. Promise me another week. I never promised, Geoffrey. Believing that, as no denial came, his request was granted, Moore gave his whole attention to Faith, who was to leave them in an hour. Sylvia, while I help our cousin to select and fasten up the books and prints she likes to take with her, will you run down into the garden and fill your prettiest basket with our fine grapes? You will like that better than fumbling with folds and string, and you know one's servants should not perform these pleasant services for one's best friends. Glad to be away, Sylvia ran through the long grape walk to its sunniest nook, and standing outside the arch, began to lay the purple clusters in her basket. Only a moment was she there alone. Warwick's shadow, lengthened by the declining sun, soon fell black along the path. He did not see her, nor seem intent on following her. He walked slowly, hat in hand, so slowly that he was but midway down the leafy lane when Faith's voice arrested him. She was in haste, as her hurried step and almost breathless words betrayed, and losing not an instant, she cried before they met, "'Adam, will you come with me? I cannot leave you here.' "'Do you doubt me, Faith?' "'No, but loving women are so weak.' "'So strong, you mean. Men are weakest when they love.' "'Adam, will you come?' I will follow you. I shall speak with Geoffrey first. Must you tell him so soon? I must. Faith's hand had been on Warwick's arm. As he spoke the last words, she bent her head upon it for an instant, then, without another word, turned and hurried back as rapidly as she had come, while Warwick stood where she left him, motionless, as if buried in some absorbing thought. 
all had passed in a moment a moment too short too full of intense surprise to leave sylvia time for recollection and betrayal of her presence half hidden and wholly unobserved she had seen the unwonted agitation of faith's countenance and manner had heard warwick's softly spoken answers to those eager appeals and with a great pang had discovered that some tender confidence existed between these two of which she had never dreamed sudden as the discovery was its acceptance and belief for knowing her own weakness sylvia found something like relief in the hope that a new happiness for warwick had ended all temptation and in time perhaps all pain for herself impulsive as ever she leaned upon the seeming truth and made of the fancy a fact passed into a perfect passion of self-abnegation thinking in the brief pause that followed faith's departure this is the change we see in him this has made him watch me hoping i had forgotten as i once said and believed i should be glad i will be glad and let him see that even while i suffer i can rejoice in that which helps us both full of her generous purpose yet half doubtful how to execute it sylvia stepped from the recess where she had stood and slowly passed toward warwick apparently intent on settling her fruity burden as she went at the first sound of her light step on the gravel he turned feeling at once that she must have heard him and eager to learn what significance that short dialogue possessed for her only a hasty glance did she give him as she came but it showed him flushed cheeks excited eyes and lips a little tremulous as they said these are for faith will you hold the basket while i cover it with leaves he took it and as the first green covering was deftly laid he asked below his breath sylvia did you hear us to his unutterable amazement she looked up clearly and all her heart was in her voice as she answered with a fervency he could not doubt yes and i was glad to hear it to know that a nobler woman filled the place i cannot fill oh believe it adam and be sure that the knowledge of your great content will lighten the terrible regret which you have seen as nothing else ever could down fell the basket at their feet and taking her face between his hands warwick bent and searched with a glance that seemed to penetrate to her heart's core for a moment she struggled to escape but the grasp that held her was immovable she tried to oppose a steadfast front and baffle that perilous inspection but quick and deep rushed the traitorous color over cheek and forehead with its mute betrayal she tried to turn her eyes away but those other eyes dark and dilated with intensity of purpose fixed her own and the confronting countenance wore an expression which made its familiar features look awfully large and grand to her panic-stricken sight a sense of utter helplessness fell on her courage deserted her pride changed to fear defiance to despair and as the flush faded the fugitive glance was arrested 
and the upturned face became a pale blank, ready to receive the answer that strong scrutiny was slowly bringing to the light, as invisible characters start out upon a page when fire passes over them. Neither spoke, but soon through all opposing barriers the magnetism of an indomitable will drew forth the truth, set free the captive passion pent so long, and wrung from those reluctant lineaments a full confession of that power which heaven has gifted with eternal youth. The instant this assurance was his own beyond a doubt, Warwick released her, snatched up his hat, and hurrying down the path vanished in the wood. Spent as with an hour's excitement, and bewildered by emotions which she could no longer master, Sylvia lingered in the grape walk till her husband called her. Then, hastily refilling her basket, she shook her hair about her face and went to bid Faith good-bye. Moore was to accompany her to the city, and they left early, that Faith might pause for adieu to Mark and Prudence. "'Where is Adam? Has he gone before, or been inveigled into staying?' Moore spoke to Sylvia, but busied in fastening the basket-lid, she seemed not to hear, and Faith replied for her. "'He will take a later boat. We need not wait for him.' When Faith embraced Sylvia, all the coldness had melted from her manner, and her voice was tender as a mother's, as she whispered low in her ear, "'Dear child, if ever you need any help that Geoffrey cannot give, remember Cousin Faith.'" For two hours Sylvia sat alone, not idle, for in the first real solitude she had enjoyed for seven days, she looked deeply into herself and putting by all disguises owned the truth, and resolved to repair the past if possible, as Faith had counseled in the case which she had now made her own. Like so many of us, Sylvia often saw her errors too late to avoid committing them, and, failing to do the right thing at the right moment, kept herself forever in arrears with that creditor who must inevitably be satisfied. She had been coming to this decision all that dreary week, and these quiet hours left her both resolute and resigned. As she sat there while the early twilight began to gather, her eye often turned to Warwick's traveling bag, which Faith, having espied it ready in his chamber, had brought down and laid in the library as a reminder of her wish. As she looked at it, Sylvia's heart yearned toward it in the fond, foolish way which women have of endowing the possessions of those they love with the attractions of sentient things, and a portion of their owner's character or claim upon themselves. It was like Warwick, simple and strong, no key, and every mark of the long use which had tested its capabilities and proved them durable. A pair of gloves lay beside it on the chair, and though she longed to touch anything of his, she resisted the temptation till, pausing near them in one of her journeys to the window, she saw a rent in the glove that lay uppermost. That appeal was irresistible. Poor Adam, there has been no one to care for him so long, 
and faith does not yet know how surely i may perform so small a service for him if he never knows how tenderly i do it standing ready to drop her work at a sound sylvia snatched a brief satisfaction which solaced her more than an hour of idle lamentation and as she kissed the glove with a long sad kiss and put it down with eyes that dimly saw where it should be perhaps there went as much real love and sorrow into that little act as ever glorified some greater deed then she went to lie in the refuge as she had named an ancient chair with her head on its embracing arm not weeping but quietly watching the flicker of the fire which filled the room with warm duskiness making the twilight doubly pleasant till a sudden blaze leaped up showing her that her watch was over and warwick come she had not heard him enter but there he was close before her his face glowing with the frosty air his eye clear and kind and in his aspect that nameless charm which won for him the confidence of whosoever read his countenance scarce knowing why sylvia felt reassured that all was well and looked up with more welcome in her heart than she dared betray in words come at last where have you been so long adam round the island i suspect for i lost my way and had no guide but instinct to lead me home again i like to say that word for though it is not home it seems so to me now may i sit here before i go and warm myself at your fire sylvia sure of his answer he established himself on the stool at her feet stretched his hands to the grateful blaze and went on with some inward resolution lending its power and depth to his voice i had a question to settle with myself and went to find my best counsellors in the wood often when i am harassed by some perplexity or doubt to which i can find no wise or welcome answer i walk myself into a belief that it will come then it appears i stoop to break a handsome flower to pick up a cone or watch some little creature happier than i and there lies my answer like a good luck penny ready to my hand faith has gone but geoffrey hopes to keep you here for another week said sylvia ignoring the unsafe topic shall he have his wish faith expects you to follow her and you think i ought i think you will when does the next boat leave an hour hence i'll wait for it here did i wake you coming in i was not asleep only lazy warm and quiet and deadly tired dear soul how can it be otherwise leading the life you lead there was such compassion in his voice such affection in his eye such fostering kindliness in the touch of the hand he laid upon her own that sylvia cried within herself oh if geoffrey would only come and hoping for that help to save her from herself she hastily replied you are mistaken adam my life is easier than i deserve my husband makes me very miserable the truth to me sylvia 
Warwick rose as he spoke, closed the door, and came back wearing an expression which caused her to start up with a gesture of entreaty. "'No, no, I will not hear you. Adam, you must not speak.' He paused opposite her, leaving a little space between them, which he did not cross through all that followed, and with that look, inflexible yet pitiful, he answered steadily, "'I must speak, and you will hear me. But understand me, Sylvia. I desire and design no French sentiment nor sin like that we heard of, and what I say now I would say if Geoffrey stood between us. I have settled this point after long thought and the heartiest prayers I ever prayed.' and much as I have at stake, I speak more for your sake than my own. Therefore, do not entreat nor delay, but listen and let me show you the wrong you are doing yourself, your husband, and your friend. Does Faith know all the past? Does she desire you do this, that her happiness may be secure? demanded Sylvia. Faith is no more to me, nor I to Faith, than the friendliest regard can make us. She suspected that I loved you long ago. She now believes that you love me. She pities her cousin tenderly, but will not meddle with the tangle we have made of our three lives. Forget that folly, and let me speak to you as I should. When we parted, I thought that you loved Geoffrey. So did you. When I came here, I was sure of it for a day but on that second night I saw your face as you stood here alone, and then I knew what I have since assured myself of. God knows, I think my gain dearly purchased by his loss. I see your double trial, I know the tribulations in store for all of us, yet, as an honest man, I must speak out, because you ought not to delude yourself or Geoffrey another day." "'What right have you to come between us and decide my duty, Adam?' Sylvia spoke passionately, roused to resistance by his manner and the turmoil of emotions warring within her. "'The right of a sane man to save the woman he loves from destroying her own peace forever and undermining the confidence of the friend dearest to them both. I know this is not the world's way in such matters, but I care not.' because I believe one human creature has a right to speak to another in times like these, as if they too stood alone. I will not command, I will appeal to you, and if you are the candid soul I think you, your own words shall prove the truth of what I say. Sylvia, do you love your husband? Yes, Adam, dearly. More than you love me? I wish I did. I wish I did. Are you happy with him? I was till you came. I shall be when you are gone. Never. It is impossible to go back to the blind tranquility you once enjoyed. Now a single duty lies before you. Delay is weak. Deceit is wicked. Utter sincerity alone can help us. Tell Geoffrey all. Then, whether you live your life alone, or one day come to me, there is no false dealing to repent of, and looking the hard fact in the face robs it of one half its terrors. 
Will you do this, Sylvia? No, Adam, remember what he said that night. I love but few, and those few are my world. I am chief in that world. Shall I destroy it for my selfish pleasure? He waited for me very long, is waiting still. Can I for a second time disappoint the patient heart that would find it easier to give up life than the poor possession which I am? No, I ought not, dare not do it yet. If you dare not speak the truth to your friend, you do not deserve him, and the name is a lie. You ask me to remember what he said that night. I ask you to recall the look with which he begged you not to try him too hardly. Put it to yourself. Which is the kinder justice, a full confession now, or a late one hereafter, when longer subterfuge has made it harder for you to offer, bitterer for him to receive? I tell you, Sylvia, it were more merciful to murder him outright than to slowly wear away his faith, his peace, and love by a vain endeavor to perform as a duty what should be your sweetest pleasure, and what will soon become a burden heavier than you can bear. You do not see as I see. You cannot understand what I am to him, nor can I tell you what he is to me. It is not as if I could dislike or despise him for any unworthiness of his own, nor as if he were a lover only. Then I could do much which now is worse than impossible, for I have married him, and it is too late. Oh, Sylvia, why could you not have waited? Why? Because I am what I am, too easily led by circumstances, too entirely possessed by whatever hope, belief, or fear rules me for the hour. Give me a steadfast nature like your own, and I will be strong. I know I am weak, but I am not willfully wicked, and when I ask you to be silent, it is because I want to save him from the pain of doubt, and try to teach myself to love him as I should. I must have time, but I can bear much and endeavor more persistently than you believe. If I forgot you once, can I not again? And should I not? I am all in all to him, while you, so strong, so self-reliant, can do without my love as you have done till now, and will soon outlive your sorrow for the loss of that which might have made us happy, had I been more patient. Yes, I shall outlive it, else I should have little faith in myself, but I shall not forget and if you would remain forever what you are now to me, you will so act that nothing may mar this memory, if it is to be no more. I doubt your power to forget an affection which has survived so many changes and withstood assaults such as Geoffrey must unconsciously have made upon it, but I have no right to condemn your beliefs, to order your actions, or force you to accept my code of morals if you are not ready for it. You must decide, but do not again deceive yourself, and through whatever comes, hold fast to that which is better worth preserving than husband, happiness, or friend. His words fell cold on Sylvia's ear, for with the inconsistency of a woman's heart, 
she thought he gave her up too readily, yet honoured him more truly for sacrificing both himself and her to the principle that ruled his life and made him what he was. His seeming resignation steadied her, for now he waited her decision, while before he was only bent on executing the purpose wherein he believed salvation lay. She girded up her strength, collected her thoughts, and tried to show him what she believed to be her duty. "'Let me tell you how it is with me, Adam, and be patient if I am not wise and brave like you, but far too young, too ignorant to bear such troubles well. I am not leaning on my own judgment now, but on faith's, and though you do not love her as I had hoped, you feel she is one to trust. She said the wife, in that fictitious case, which was so real to us, the wife should leave no effort unmade, no self-denial unexacted, till she had fairly proved that she could not be what she had promised. Then, and then only, had she a right to undo the tie that had bound her. I must do this before I think of your love or my own, for on my marriage morning I made a vow within myself that Geoffrey's happiness should be the first duty of my life. I shall keep that vow as sacredly as I will those I made before the world, until I find that it is utterly beyond my power. Then I will break altogether. You have tried that once and failed. No, I have never tried it as I shall now. At first I did not know the truth. Then I was afraid to believe it, and struggling blindly to forget. Now I see clearly, I confess it, I resolve to conquer it, and I will not yield until I have done my best. You say you must respect me. Could you do so if I no longer respected myself? I should not if I forgot all Geoffrey had borne and done for me, and could not bear and do this thing for him. I must make the effort, and make it silently, for he is very proud with all his gentleness, and would reject the seeming sacrifice, though he would make one doubly hard for the love of me. If I am to stay with him, it spares him the bitterest pain he could suffer. If I am to go, it gives him a few more months of happiness, and I may so prepare him that the parting will be less hard. How others would act, I cannot tell. I only know that this seems right to me, and I must fight my fight alone, even if I die in doing it. She was so earnest, yet so humble, so weak in all but the desire to do well, so young to be tormented with such fateful issues, and withal so steadfast in the grateful yet remorseful tenderness she bore her husband, that though sorely disappointed and not one whit convinced, Warwick could only submit to this woman-hearted child and love her with redoubled love, both for what she was and what she aspired to be. Sylvia, what would you have me do? You must go away, and for a long time, Adam, because when you are near me my will is swayed by yours, and what you desire I long to give you. Go quite away, and through faith 
you may learn whether I succeed or fail. It is hard to say this, yet you know it is a truer hospitality in me to send you from my door than to detain and offer you temptation for your daily bread. How strangely Attila came back to him, and all the scenes he had passed through with her, a perilous contrast just then. Yet, despite his pride in the loving little creature who put him from her that she might be worthy of him, one irrepressible lament swelled his heart and passed his lips. Ah, Sylvia, I thought that parting on the mountain was the hardest I could ever know, but this is harder, for now I have but to say come to me, and you would come. But the bitter moment had its drop of honey, whose sweetness nourished him when all else failed. Sylvia answered with a perfect confidence in that integrity which even her own longing could not bribe. Yes, Adam, but you will not say it, because feeling as I feel, you know I must not come to you. He did know it, and confessed his submission by folding fast the arms half opened for her, and standing dumb with the words trembling on his lips. It was the bravest action of a life full of real valor, for the sacrifice was not made with more than human fortitude. The man's heart clamored for its right, patience was weary, hope despaired, and all natural instincts mutinied against the command that bound them. But no grain of virtue ever falls wasted to the ground. It drops back upon its giver of regathered strength, and cannot fail of its own reward in some kindred soul's approval, imitation, or delight. It was so, then, as Sylvia went to him, for though she did not touch nor smile upon him, he felt her nearness, and the parting assured him that its power bound them closer than the happiest union. In her face there shone a look half-fervent, half-devout, and her voice had no falter in it now. "'You show me what I should be. All my life I have desired strength of heart and stability of soul. May I not hope to earn for myself a little of the integrity I love in you? If courage, self-denial, and self-help make you what you are, can I have a more effectual guide? You say you shall outlive this passion.' Why should I not imitate your brave example, and find the consolations you shall find? Oh, Adam, let me try. You shall. Then go, go now, while I can say it as I should. The good Lord bless and help you, Sylvia. She gave him both her hands, but though he only pressed them silently, that pressure nearly destroyed the victory she had won for the strong grasp snapped the slender guard-ring Moore had given her a week ago. She heard it drop, with a golden tinkle on the hearth, saw the dark oval with its doubly significant character roll into the ashes, and felt Warwick's hold tighten, as if he echoed the emphatic word uttered when the ineffectual gift was first bestowed. Superstition flowed in Sylvia's blood, and was as unconquerable as the imagination which supplied its food. This omen startled her, 
it seemed a forewarning that endeavor would be in vain, that submission was wisdom, and that the husband's charm had lost its virtue when the stronger power claimed her. The desire to resist began to waver, as the old passionate longing sprang up more eloquently than ever. She felt the rush of a coming impulse, and knew that it would sweep her into Warwick's arms, there to forget her duty, to forfeit his respect. With the last effort of a sorely tried spirit, she tore her hands away, fled up to the room which had never needed lock or key till now, and stifling the sound of those departing steps among the cushions of the little couch where she had wept away childish woes and dreamed girlish dreams, she struggled with the great sorrow of her too early womanhood, uttering with broken voice that petition often is quoted from the one prayer which expresses all our needs. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. End of chapter 16